Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday... It's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome to the Ringers Philly special episode two. We're doing the offense today. The Eagles offense. We did the Eagles defense yesterday. Shield Kapadia here joined by Ben Solak. Ben, how we doing? Oh, everything's delicious. Shield, thanks for asking. Everything's delicious. All right. If you haven't already, you know to follow the podcast on Spotify. You know to rate and review. You know to grab your uh, kids' iPads and go follow the podcast there. So, you know, there's what? We got Chicago. We got New York. We want Boston. We want all those podcasts to do well. But listen, we want ours to really be the cream of the crop here, right? Do kids have iPads now? Is that a thing? Yeah, that is a thing. They got podcasts on kids' iPads? Yeah, yeah. They can find it. Listen, where there's a will... There's a way. They got kids podcasts. They got everything. All right. So we're going to go through the same scale today as we did yesterday. We've got Cliff Augustine producing as usual. We're going to do the pain scale, but we're going to do the offense today instead of the defense. So Ben, give me your take. Let's start with a recap of last year, looking ahead to this season, what your expectations are for this Eagles offense, and then we'll go position by position. Yeah, last year, Nick Sirianni comes in, uh, offensive uh, uh, mind from the Colts. He was the offensive coordinator there under Frank Reich. Had some West Coast influences beforehand when he was with the Chargers, and then he's with Frank Reich, and Frank Reich is kind of like the pinnacle child for smorgasbord. Like His offense has kind of got a flavor of everything and changes year over year. So Sirianni comes in, and you kind of expect him, okay, firstly, he's going to be a good developer in the passing game. He was an ex-wide receivers coach. Eagles have been cycling through wide receivers coach, like defense against the dark arts teachers right he's going to help out the receiver room that's very important and hopefully he's going to come in and be fluid like this is what he came up in was in an offense that was constantly evolving and changing as the Colts themselves cycled through different quarterbacks he brings in Shane Steichen who he knew from his uh Chargers days again more just like a traditional West Coast Mike McCoy sort of a guy to come in and be his offensive coordinator but Sirianni's going to call plays 
And we saw it happen. I think that it could have been easier for the Eagles to figure out what sort of offense they needed to run for Jalen Hurts earlier, i.e. Yeah. taking seven weeks to figure out we should run this guy a lot is a little bit frustrating, but coaches are notoriously inflexible creatures. And Sirianni showed flexibility and critically humility. In order to change, you have to admit that you were previously wrong. And I think that's greatly to his credit. Uh, the Eagles changed what they did not so much like schematically or structurally. They continued to generally line up in the same formations with the same players on the field, but the buttons and the dials that they finagled with changed. You saw that the neutral run rate go way up. So they were running it on early downs. Yeah. I believe they were, I want to say, like the third most run-heavy team in the back half of the season. You probably have the numbers. You usually do. Uh, of course, the back half of the season in part because they wanted Jalen Hurts to tuck the football more. They started using their offensive line in different ways where they were trying to run a lot of this, you know, like gap power, Lamar Jackson college stuff early. And they kept that, but they also realized they could just go back to running like the zone stuff that they had done for a while. And they had a really dominant center in that regard in Jason Kelsey, and he pulled that off for them. Uh, so they, it was not like big changes. It was the little dials. It was the choices that they made in the margins that really had, had this offense, helped this offense have a big jump. They also faced a lot of easy defenses. And you encountered yeah. in the playoffs the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And we should we would be remiss to make all of our judgments off of a team's offense and a team's quarterback on one game only, especially when that game comes against the Super Bowl winning defense from the year previous. However, if you listen to our first episode, the Eagles defensive preview, we talked a lot about how do you perform against playoff quarterbacks, right? Philadelphia Eagles have high expectations entering this season. I don't really care how you do against the Giants. I'm interested in the teams you're going to face in December and January. Well, against a playoff caliber defense, the Buccaneers showed a complete disregard, a total disrespect for it, just a, a lack of interest in the Eagles' ability to throw the football against them. They did not have the receiver talent that was necessary, right? Wide receiver two for the Eagles last year was Quez Watkins. Yeah. Like it's, just, it's just dreadful to remember that that was the world where we were. Uh, and then the quarterback could not access all the areas of the field, all the routes of the tree that you'd like to see, namely the middle of the field. Where the Eagles were very, very uh, poor throwing the football in terms of distribution and in terms of accuracy and in terms of return on investment. The Buccaneers' defense disrespected the Eagles' offense. They did not care about a whole half of the, 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 the team's phase, the whole passing phase, and they just sent bodies flying at the running game and suffocated the Eagles for four quarters. The Eagles responded with A.J. Brown. They responded with the best middle of the field receiver in the league over the last two seasons. And in doing so said, we are going to find a way to make this passing game work. AJ Brown is the addition. Jalen Hurts is the returner. And the big question for the offense entering this year is with a head coach, Nick Sirianni and an offense coordinator, Shane Steichen, who critically Steichen is now calling plays, not Nick Sirianni, a change from last year. Will they be flexible enough, creative enough, fluid enough, humble enough to make the changes necessary on offense to find a way to get this passing game working against playoff caliber defense? That's a big question coming into 2022. Yeah, that, that's the big question. Like you mentioned, weeks one through seven, they were, I think, the eighth most pass-happy team in the NFL. And the rest of the way, they were the fifth most run-heavy team in the NFL. So it's going to settle It's difficult to overstate how cool that is. Like, there are very Crazy. few coaches who it doesn't happen. To do that. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't absolutely. get a trophy for yeah. it, but it's good. 
Yes. Yeah. I think uh, on the one hand, you're, you're going, this is nuts. Normally you can't do this in the middle of the season and have it work. It's really hard to do. And then in the back of your head, especially the Philadelphia in you is going, well, what the hell were they doing in the first yeah. uh, seven weeks of the season? So you kind of go back and forth there. So I think it'll settle in somewhere in between. I mean, listen, we know from the top of the organization with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman on down that they believe passing is the way to win in the NFL. And by the way, they're right about that, you know, for the most part. Um, and they've been ahead of the curve there. But at the same time, coaching is about putting your personnel in positions to succeed. So we have to see what this offense is going to look like here in 2022. When, it, when the dust settled, 11th in offensive DVOA. I think that's probably higher than most people uh, would think. And when you look at the personnel, it feels like there's so much turnover on this roster. And we talked about that on defense. With offense, it's A.J. Brown. I mean, they had 12 players who played over 400 snaps last year. 11 are back. Nate Herbig's the only guy. Tough uh, boy, Nate. Who, who, who's not Nate back. Nate Herbig, so the mad. only Eagles player to ever DM me on Twitter. She was mad at me. Oh, he was mad at you. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Sure. Well, we can. We can. Well, maybe. Maybe that's why they released him. Yeah. Well, I. I also, we were launching the I Philly pod, so and they said they released yeah. him because he got mad at me. I think it's the reason. Okay. That, the thing I was talking about, which is why he got mad okay. at me, is the reason right. he was released. All right. So we'll see if we can get another Eagles player to DM Ben as this podcast takes off in uh, 2022, if that's a running theme. By the way, when you said, you know, you dropped a defense of the dark arts reference there, I was thinking, does Ben have more in common with my uh, fifth grade daughter than he does? What book is she on? Uh, oh, she's please. She's through all Ripped of them. She's through every killer, every movie. We did Harry Potter World, and the, I mean, we don't do anything as a family that's not Harry Potter related. And those who know me know that fantasy world. I don't really understand what's going on, and so it's listen. This is part about fatherhood. You kind of adjust to some of these things. All right. That being said, we're getting to the pain scale, baby. If you did not listen to the first episode, you should do that, but you don't have to do it in order. Here's the exercise: ten means. This position group's going to give you the, the most severe pain you've ever felt. Zero means don't even worry about it. You're good. You're, they're going to give you no pain. And we got to start off with the, with the big boy, Jalen Hurts, quarterback. Ben, how are you feeling? Where, where does Jalen Hurts rank for you on the pain scale going into the season? Yeah, it's funny. So I have a piece that comes out in every preseason. That's just like the 32 X factors. Who's the one X factor from it? Oh, I team. like that. And the way I define Read that it, on the ringer.com. Yeah, boy. The way I define that is like, if I tell you Team X had a really good season, which player Y is guaranteed to have also had a good season? Like who, because they performed well, means that their team performed well. And in 2021, my X factor for the Eagles was Jalen Hurts. I said, the team goes, the quarterback goes. They got to find out if this guy's a starting caliber player. And if he is, they have enough weapons on offense, develop Devontae Smith, Jordan Mailata, you know, start the rising left tackle. They should be pretty good. They were. Devontae Smith's clear that a guy's going to hang at the NFL level, radius NFL talent. My lot of returned on their investment, that, that big extension. They were a good offense. 2022, baby. X Factor for the Eagles? It's Jalen Hurts. <laughs> you want to be a uh, team goes, quarterback goes. You want to be a playoff caliber offense, right? Now it's just a new adjective. And it's not just like starting caliber, it's playoff caliber. You want to be a team yeah. that can play meaningful games in January. Quarterback has to prove that he can fill out his limitations. In 2021, I remained skeptical that Hertz was going to reach that level, that level of like a playoff quarterback of a true threat to both run and pass a guy who can beat you in a myriad of ways. He has a response to all the things you're going to throw at him. I still remain skeptical in 2022. Uh, the intermediate middle of the field, 10 to 12 yards down the field between the numbers is the most important area in the, in the modern passing game. 
People love talking about the Shanahan McVeigh offense. Oh, it's crazy offense. It's amazing. But what this offense does is it finds a way to access that area of the field more than any other offense, right? When we talk about like how do you create explosives, right? NFL offenses are always gauged by their ability to create explosive plays, passes of over 20 yards. There's really one of two ways to do it. Throw the ball deep or throw the ball to a guy who can break a tackle and run it far down the field. Yeah. Most yak throws, yards after catch throws, are underneath throws. They are bubble screens. They are actual screens. They are quick slants, right? They are underneath crossers, right? Little meshes or little shallow routes. It is very hard to find a route that is deep and also has the potential for yards after the catch. There's one area of the field in which it happens, and that's the intermediate middle of the field. You get a guy running a crosser, right? Left to right, 10 yards deep. You hit him in stride, and so long as he's outpacing that corner, he can turn up field and go get another 10 yards. You've just created an explosive play without having to throw the ball all the way down the field. Huge. This area is difficult for shorter quarterbacks to access and for quarterbacks who like to run the ball to access. You think about your Russell Wilsons, your Kyler Murrays, and your Jalen Hurts. It's difficult for shorter quarterbacks because it's hard to see that area of the field. There's the offensive line bodies, the linebacker bodies. You need to be able to layer the throw, throw it over the linebackers, but drop it under the safeties, right? That's a throw that is it, it is to your benefit to have height in order to see that in order to have a high release of the ball. It's also difficult for quarterbacks who like to scramble because in order to hit that area of the field, you have to hang in the pocket. And Jimmy Garoppolo hangs in the pocket by default. He can't really get out of it. Kirk Cousins hangs in the pocket by default. He can't really get out of it. If he's going to get pressured, he's got to throw the ball. He's got to get rid of it. So he is committed to learning how to throw that ball. Jalen Hurts has never had to commit to that in his life because if he's looking intermediate middle of the field and he wants to throw that ball, but suddenly there's pressure in his face, Hurts knows I can drop my eyes, tuck this ball and run. And oftentimes it's a great play, but it is precluding him from throwing the ball to that critical, that valuable area of the field. There was an awesome training camp report written by your ex-colleague, Bo Wolf uh, at The Athletic, where he was talking about the Jalen Hurts to A.J. Brown connection. It was like, Every third down, baby, the Eagles are finding ways to get the ball to A.J. Brown. They're isolating him. They're getting the man coverage. Hurts is locked in on him. They love him. And he was, like, detailing, you know, uh, this third down. was third and eight. Like, the defense was hyped up. They thought they had him stopped. And Hurts hit A.J. Brown on a beautiful out route. And that wasn't the part of the story. That wasn't the focus. But it caught my eye because the Tennessee Titans never ran A.J. Brown on an out route. They ran him on in-breaking routes. He's incredibly good at in-breaking routes. He has the physicality, the size. He takes the hits. He has the explosiveness. Eagles are throwing Brown on an out route. It's one route. It doesn't matter. But it's indicative of what you're worried about in Philadelphia, which is that they got this receiver who hits this area of the field so, so, so well, and they're still not yet sure if their quarterback will trigger on those throws, which are very important throws for modern offense. So Hurts got more accurate as a passer. He's improved as a pocket manager. I wouldn't call him a great pocket manager, but he's improved in that regard. And he's clearly shown that he's a tackle breaker. Guy's built like a running back. He's awesome. If he cannot develop this area of the field the eagles passing game will always be one-dimensional and if it is one-dimensional it will not beat playoff caliber offenses the eagles offense becomes one-dimensional as a whole it becomes tough to give that guy a second contract so that's the fulcrum right now it's hurts and the intermediate middle of the field yeah the numbers on that are pretty wild i mean football outsiders almanac had it eagles threw 10 percent of their passes in the middle of the field last year the nfl average was 22 percent. no other team was lower than 16 percent. and so um you know nick sirianni has talked about that well is it pretty you know well some of that has to do with personnel well we'll see because like you said yeah. AJ Brown i know which personnel he's talking about in that regard yeah it's one guy <laughs> yeah well, and we'll get <laughs> and we'll we'll see how much they're able to open that up a little bit you know in terms of hurts i felt like i feel like 
when he got into trouble, it was a combination. Well, it was really just being late because I don't think he has the arm. Like when Josh Allen is late, it usually doesn't matter because the ball's going to get there mm-hmm. in the snap of your fingers. When Jalen Hurts is late, I'm not saying he has a noodle arm or like the worst arm in the NFL, but it's not good enough for when he's late, he can get away with it. And I feel like that came up over and over again last year with the missed opportunities that they had, whether they were interceptions or just a guy being open and the ball didn't come out on time. And then he's trying to gun it over there. And all of a sudden a defensive back gets their hands on the football. The Devonte Smith play uh, against the Bucks in the playoffs right before halftime was a big one that sticks in my mind. So I think that's a key uh, area, area to keep an eye on as well here. Now, overall, 19th in EPA per play. So it's funny when we look at kind of what type of leap does Jalen Hurts need to make? I mean, he probably needs to get what around like the 12th in, you know, in that category. And you're probably having a great season. So it's not like he's got to go from 27 to eight. He's got to go from like 19th to 12th. And he's as well positioned, I think, as any quarterback in the NFL, when you just look at offensive line, uh, the weapons around him, which we'll get to all of those now. Uh, but did you give a number to this one, Ben? I can't remember. I didn't know. So Hertz, I have for me as as a six, which is about as as high of a number I like to give on this. I think that when I try to rub the crystal ball, see into the future and figure out why I'm pissed off on the Eagles loss. I'm seeing those Jalen Hurts passing charts that Next Gen Stats put out where you just look at it and there's just a massive black hole in the middle of the field and a bunch of incomplete markers like 30 yards down the field outside of the numbers. Just such a low percentage throw. You don't want to live and die on this is the way you're going to want to talk about it, right? Like It becomes a very like 50-50 coin flip proposition, which is just so scary to live on across the course of 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 a full season. Yeah, I've got it as a five. It's sort of like if he's this, a little bit better than he was last year, you're going to have some complaints, but it's not like he's going to be killing you week in and week out. I can sort of see the upside there if he improves given the weapons around him, but I wouldn't say that my most uh, likely outcome is that Jalen Hurts takes this massive leap and we're talking about a monster's contract extension. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Running back, sort of a, you know, it's like, this is a little bit boring. Miles Sanders, Kenny Gainwell, Boston Scott, they bring in Trey Sermon. How are you feeling about this group? Like, it's it's kind of annoying because it's like, what pain are they going to cause? It's like an eight. But also... It's like pain in my left pinky toe. Like I don't actually care about my left. It's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. right. It's like, oh, my left pinky finger is an excruciating pain. Also, it's my left pinky finger. Like, who the frick cares? Uh, yeah. The Eagles running game is going to be good. Yeah. Period. The offensive line is simply far too good to sustain a bad running game. 
pending multiple injuries in the offensive line, because the Eagles are built to handle one or two, multiple injuries in the offensive line. This is going to be a good running game. Jalen Hurts is a math changer. Talked about it a little bit with Jordan Davis. You get a running quarterback back there, you are changing the way defenses can play football because you need to have an extra body now to account for the threat of the quarterback keeping the ball and running it within the structure of the play. Eagles running game is going to be good. Is Miles Sanders going to have a third and four drop that makes me want to punch myself in the face? Yep. Are the Eagles going to, you know, continue to like, you know, give Kenny Gainwell some short yardage touches because they think he's their third down back, but then also sometimes they hand it off on third down and that doesn't make any sense? Yeah. Boston Scott going to be great when he gets the ball and then also like mysteriously disappear for three weeks and then show up again against the Giants. That's the only team they let him play against. Yeah. Are they going to force a goal line power back thing that doesn't work because they refuse to spend actual resources on running back and they just brought Trey Sermon and Michael Pirine and off other teams cuts? Yes. There's just knucklehead stuff here. Like, I don't think the Eagles should go out and spend a first-round pick on Najee Harris. I don't think they should go out and sign somebody to the Derrick Henry contract. It would be such a a relief of a headache if they could just get one three-down back who does everything correctly in the building. I'm not asking for Dalvin Cook. I'm not asking for Aaron Jones. I'm asking for Melvin Gordon. Get me a professional who won't make mistakes, won't fumble the football, can pick up a blitzer on third down, and yes, every so often actually make a safety miss downfield at Miles Sanders. There's just such, there's such easy meat left on the bone here that they should be able to address that they're not because they're still committing this and there's no reason to. Yeah, I had this at a five. I mean, I'm with you. You know, they're going to have probably a top five rushing offense in the NFL. So can we really complain that much about it? At the same time, I was sort of thinking that, hey, take a flyer on one of these day three guys who has some upside, even if it doesn't work out, because I do feel like a very talented running back could make a difference in this offense with which with how much they run the yes. ball, with how good the offensive line is, with how much Jalen Hurts is affecting defenses. Like those could lead to some of the explosive plays that maybe you're not getting in the passing game. And they didn't really do that. So again, the running mm-hmm. game's gonna be fine. It was interesting. I was looking at some on-off splits with uh Sanders from last year, and it like <laughs> the numbers are it's exactly the same. I mean, success yep. rate first down rate, like you couldn't get any closer. And so it kind of doesn't matter if it's, I think Sanders gives you an explosive element. Okay. So two years ago, he, you know, he, he does, breaking off. but even then, like he doesn't break as many tackles downfield as you want him to. You know what I mean? Like, no, he doesn't. Yeah, he, that's true. Like he's explosive in the sense that like you get him a screen, he's fast, but that's a lot of guys, yeah. man. I, the Sanders explosive thing to me yeah. is he's never come to fruition. Okay. Two years ago, yeah. I mean, there's a randomness to it, which we've talked about. When you have yeah. three 50-yard runs in a season, you're probably not going to do that again. But hey, can that be three 25-yard runs? Uh, and so we'll see. He's in a uh, contract year here. And so I think they'll use all those guys. I think there will be plays where the film grinders are going to be frustrated. And the offensive linemen, by the way. Sometimes you watch the film and after a Sanders run and the offensive yeah. linemen are going, where did he Where did he go on that play? And they're yeah. The older Kelsey gets, man, the less he cares. <laughs> He's yes. like, dude, you need to go here. I'm like, come on. Yeah. My elbow hurts. That, I want to retire. Yes. Run to the gap. <laughs> that, that's definitely littered uh, on the film at the same time. We'll, we'll see if he can produce some explosive plays. So I think they're going to be fine. Yeah. I'm with you. I don't think it's going to be a, a huge factor. I think the running game is going yeah. to be fine. The so last thing, yeah. As a five. The last thing I'll say on running back is that, like, right now, okay, whatever. It's like a little bit of a pain. It doesn't matter. You brought up Sanders' contract year. If you decide to give Jalen Hurts big second contract, you would like for him to take way fewer hits than he is. Running back then becomes more important 
Because if you want Hurts to take fewer hits because you're paying him so much more money, and obviously like, his running game is still a big part of why he's getting paid, but you want to protect him and not be paying a guy who's now accruing a lot of injury, means you're keeping the ball less and you're giving the ball more. And that back starts to matter a little bit more. So there's a timing thing there also yeah. with Sanders, where it's like, all right, if they choose to give Jalen Hurts a second contract, you got to take running back a little bit more seriously because you want to have Hurts not be taking shots from linebackers five yards on the field as much anymore. Yeah, that that's true. And Hertz, I do feel like is underrated as a runner because he's not as dynamic or highlight worthy plays as like a Lamar Jackson. But if you just look at the percentage of times he's picking up a first down or, you know, successor, yes. if you like any of the advanced stuff, I mean, he's right up there with like Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. He is, you know, I think he's Saints the second guy. best quarterback runner in the league. I think it's Lamar's yeah, a clear one. Think, and then you have Kyler, yeah. Josh and Hertz as the conversation. And like if Allen carried it more, maybe I would feel differently about that because he's so efficient. I just don't think those efficient, yeah. efficient numbers would ha- hold up if he carried it a lot. He's also like a runner, like a tight end. Like Josh is tall, enormous, right? Right. he's like loping. Hurts is legit yeah. built like a back and runs like a back yeah. and it's sick. Yeah, absolutely. All right, wide receiver. I, I'm curious to see what you have here on the pain scale. They obviously get A.J. Brown. Devont- they get Zach Paschal as the fourth wide receiver in the offseason, bring back Devontae Smith and Quez Watkins. How are you feeling about this group? I'm feeling a three. I don't think the wide receivers are going to be a problem. I can see the quarterback wide receiver relationship being a problem, which kind of, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know what that ends up falling on. And we talked about this a little bit with corner last, uh, uh, last episode of defense. I see the depth being a problem. AJ Brown and Devontae Smith feels great until you remember Quez is wide receiver three, which like Eagles fans love Quez for some reason, but Quez should not be wide receiver three. And then you have, you know, your Zach Pascal is your blocking receiver. Your Greg Ward is like feel good story slot that hangs around, but also really is just kind of like a diamond dozen a little bit. They're still holding Britton Covey, who's also like a slot return guy, and Devin Allen, who's like a Quez Watkins insurance on the on the practice squad. But there is nobody that you feel good at taking the Devontae Smith target share if he goes down, taking the AJ Brown target share, who Brown tends to get banged up because he was using such a physical role with the Titans. Yes. There's nobody you feel good about taking that role in wide receiver. We obviously aren't really lumping tight end in yet, and Dallas Goddard is a hugely important player to this team. Um, but in terms of the receivers, you are very thin. With that said, Devontae's numbers fall by the wayside a little bit because like Waddle was setting rookie records. Jamar Chase was setting rookie records. But you put on the film, Devontae can hang. That's an NFL receiver. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's a legit guy. I don't know if he's like a wide receiver one because like the frame just kind of limits how much he can be used in that regard, but he's a very clear you know, 100 target guy, over 1,000 receiving yards guy. He's a dude. And then A.J. Brown is, is proofs in the pudding. I mean, he's A.J.'s one of my favorite players in the league. Wonderful, wonderful receiver. Yeah. They have the dudes that will beat corner ones, win on third downs, win contestants in the red zone. They will create plays in the passing game. More than Eagles receivers really have, like, in recent memory. Like, even when it was, like, Alshon and Torrey, I don't think that was as good of a pairing as they can have with AJ and Devontae Smith. So you're thinking more of like your Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin era, where there's two guys you really got to deal with and they can both beat you. Yeah, I've got this as a two. I mean, I yeah. can't remember the last time I felt this good about their group of wide receivers. The well, I hate when you know the take that you build a wide receiver group like a basketball team. Oh, I love that one. That's one of my favorite oh, you things love to that? say. I hate it. I think it's dumb. Just get the best players. But they act. But in this context, I actually love the way these guys complement each other. You know, so I guess it, it fits a little bit um, there. 
I can't stress enough, and I've been saying this since they traded her for A.J. Brown, Eagles fans who have not watched him consistently, like this is a player with a Hall of Fame ceiling, and you're yeah. getting him in his prime. Now, he has to stay healthy, and like you mentioned, he's missed six games over the last two seasons. But, man, if you put this guy with a quarterback who can play, uh, he is just such a monster and has just a, such a fun style of play where he is just wrecking defenders on his way to explosive plays on the way to the end zone. What we talked about earlier – with the in-breaking routes, I mean, if you look at A.J. Brown's numbers, I forget what uh, routes I put in here in, into uh, True Media, crossing routes, uh, slants, and in-breaking routes, over 1,300 yards in the past three seasons. That's third in the NFL behind Cooper Cup, Cup and, Debo. and Debo Samuel. Yeah. So the, yeah, so there's no like like if they're not thrown over the middle of the field, we know what the issue is. It is not uh yeah. it's not going right. to be and that's that's wide receiver base. Good team building too. Like AJ Brown is 24, yeah. he's going to be great for the Eagles quarterback for the next 5 years, doesn't matter if it's hurt somebody else whatever. But you got yeah. the guy that gives you incontrovertible proof that if we can't access this area of the field, it yes. is not the receiver's fault. We we have one of the dudes. Uh when yeah. we did we did top 10 receivers for the Ringers offseason pod. It's like a June July pod. And I listed out who I thought my order was going to be. And I had AJ like seventh or eighth. And yes, this was after the Eagles trade. And yes, I was excused, <laughs> accused of homerism at the time. But the more numbers I went through and the more I watched, just the higher. Like AJ just passed Debo, right? He passes Mike Evans. Like he just like, he was like, oh my gosh, like he's, he's, oh my, he's better yeah. than this guy. He's better than that guy. I, I ended up with him fourth, right? It was like, all right, Cooper and Devontae are top guys. And then Justin Jefferson. Yeah. And then to me, Debo, uh, AJ Brown was the fourth best receiver in the league and if the eagles can't yeah. deliver like if he's available for 14 16 games like they say he gets banged up but he's available for 14 games he should be a thousand yard receiver it does not matter who his quarterback is and the eagles should give him that volume accordingly yeah. uh yeah and the, i mean i was at probably a handful of practices and it was just like feed aj brown put him in motion line him up in the slot line him up out. i mean it was he Good. was the guy who was getting the most targets and i'm with you on Devonte smith i mean imagine if he played for like a high-powered passing offense last year what would his numbers have been i mean he passed every yeah, test and he was almost a thousand yard receiver for. too like he was right yeah, there, nine, you know yeah he was yeah. over 900 yeah. yeah absolutely so um and i'm not as low on uh, quiz watkins as you are especially when you have goddard i mean so this is really right. like your fourth option on offense he's okay all right so you, you don't like you're higher on quiz than i am name a good quiz watkins play well actually i feel like there are plays on film where the ball didn't go <laughs> his way where i go that was nice like he so, ran so nice name route. a memorable good Quez Watkins play. There against the Bucks, there was one of those where the ball should have got gone to him. Oh, so this uh, is just, this is like a, a hypothetical a, a play. Deep, if he had no, been it was targeted, a deep crosser. It been a good yeah, play. he got open. He did his job. This is why I've said playing wide receiver sucks. You're dependent on your quarterback. You're dependent on the offensive line. Yes. You get like five opportunities a game. Like I would be in the worst headspace if I played a wide receiver. I'd be a complete disaster. Right. So now, I give those guys credit. See, that's funny because the position I always say is the worst is corner. <laughs> Corner. So now same, imagine same, that. Same plus that it becomes yeah. even narrower because you can like yes. cover a guy incredibly for 49 reps. Yeah. And on the 50th rep, you step on your shoelaces and then you're yeah. on a highlight reel for the next nine years. Oh my gosh. Horrible position. The the idea of like having amnesia in sports is like so foreign to me. Like if I'm mm -hmm. playing tennis or whatever and I hit like there's no way I'm able to just flush that and move on to the next play. It's ruining the rest of the time I'm playing that sport. So I, I give uh, I give cornerbacks a lot of credit. All right, let's go to tight end. You mentioned uh, Dallas Goddard. What, what do you and Jack Stoll, I guess, is his backup. What do you have from this group? Yeah. So we at this moment, we should actually like quick uh, summary. We've talked quarterback, running back, wide receiver and tight end. 
In terms of positional spending right now, the Eagles are 31st at the quarterback position, 5.2 million. Only the Texans are spending less. It's a huge advantage. Running back, they're 27th. That's no surprise. They don't really spend on running backs. Wide receiver, they're 26th. Even with the Devontae Smith pick, even with AJ Brown, they're still one of the lowest spending teams in terms of like 2022 cap. It's going to go way up when AJ Brown's contract kicks in. But they're still they're, they're 26th, right? Huge, huge advantage in like a ballooning wide receiver market. So then you get to tight end. You're like, all right, well, tight end's going to be enormous, right? Cap's playing Dallas Goddard. They're 24th. This they 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 the advantage the Eagles get in terms of the limited spending that they have on offense. They are altogether the twenty seventh highest spending team on offense, and yet we expect this to be a playoff caliber offense. It was a playoff caliber offense in terms of getting there last season. Is incredible. The you know cost effectiveness of the Jalen Hurts you know contract. Oh, you have a starting quarterback, and you're not paying much money. Like the the transactional value is incredible. But there might not be a position, or I should say, a player that is giving them more bang for their buck than Dallas Goddard is on the offensive side of the ball. Because you cannot run the ball as effectively as the Eagles do without having a tight end who can legitimately move a defensive end one-on-one. He needs to be able to down block on a defensive end and put him into the second level. And there are not a lot of guys left who can do that. You, Travis Kelsey's or Darren Wallers, they're not doing this, right? Rob Gronkowski does it. George Kittle does it, and it's part of the huge value of Kittle, but Mark Andrews is not doing this. Kyle Pitts is not doing this. This position is changing. And among the tight ends who remain legitimate receiving threats, more on that in a second, but can impact the running game, they are a plus in the running game. Dallas Goddard is the second best one in the league behind George Kittle. And and for an Eagles running game that is this varied, this this much detail to it, Jeff Stoutland is an incredibly diverse and specific coach who has a lot of checks and a lot of side adjustments, a lot of changes on the fly. For Goddard to be able to hold that entire menu is enormous. I'll never forget rookie Dallas Goddard in that playoff game against the Bears with the double doink game, just working Khalil Mack for four quarters and going, yeah, this, guy, this guy's going to be good. Like that, It's going to be very hard to get yeah. him off the field. And because he stayed on the field in that blocking, he got through some drops problems. He learned how to be a better receiver. And lo and behold, Goddard now is also one of the best middle of the field targets that you get at tight end. And they didn't get to use him that much last year because they're using him on outbreaking routes. They're cutting the field in half. They're having him go into the sideline. They're using him on those little screens that they love even though they freaking suck. They're, they're, they're giving him the menu that Jalen Hurts can throw. But now that you have A.J. Brown in the building and you say, okay, A.J. Brown can handle this middle of the field a little bit, you get Goddard with a lot more freedom to be that second option between zones, to be like a more of like, okay, he's going to get some underneath targets, going to be a check down. Yeah, it's nice, but he's a good tackle breaker. You're going to let him run up the seam. He's going to carry safeties out of the way. He's going to benefit a lot from A.J. Brown now being responsible for that middle of the field. He's going to get to be used in a, in a greater variety of ways and in a way that Jalen Hurts is comfortable throwing the football. Then we're going to see a very good career receiving from Goddard, but it's the impact he has in the running game and the fact that he can stay on the field for all three downs he's an extra tackle in the running game he never tips tendency he can run good routes from in line like this is hugely important if the eagles didn't have goddard and they had like dawson knox right the bills are trying so hard to develop a sixth blocker in the running game they need it so badly on offense one of the biggest issues in their offense and they put dawson there and it just isn't nobody's scared Nobody buys it. Yeah. Like it, just, it doesn't matter. You put Dallas Goddard with his hand in the dirt there, and defenses have to care about that. And that, in terms of schematics and in terms of planning and hiding tendency, is so, so, so important. Goddard, huge, huge, huge technical advantage, strategic advantage that the Eagles have.
Yeah, great, great blocker. 830 yards last year, led all tight ends in yards per route run, averaged almost 15 yards per reception. Now, the bang for your buck thing, I think that has more to do probably with the way they structure that contract. I mean, he's still yes. getting over 14 mil per year, so he's getting paid like a top five tight end, but you know, he is going to be one of your top. I was thinking about this when we did, when I was going through this, uh, this exercise. Who's the who are the most dis- indispensable players on this offense, and where does exactly. Scott rank? Like if I if if you said, hey, you're gonna lose a guy for ten games or the year, I, you know, I would probably have AJ Brown would be my yeah. If they use AJ the way we think they're going to, yeah, it's got to be AJ yeah. one just because of the volume. I would argue Dallas Goddard very 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 strongly at two, and yeah. it feels like the offensive lineman should be on there. Kelsey, Lane, Mylotta, because they feature those guys in the running game. But we've seen over the course of Stoutland. They have depth. Yeah, Yeah. uh, we've seen over the course of Stoutland's career here that when Brandon Brooks goes down and they got to put freaking, you know, not same all, they got to put Suo Opeta in there. They get it done, baby. Like he, Stoutland has such a good ability to change the little dials and make little adjustments that if you lose a lane, like it obviously sucks, but they know what to do. If you lose Goddard and you have to put Jack Stoll out there, that. That is it's such a sigh of relief for opposing defenses. It makes it so much easier to read what the Eagles are doing based off of what tight ends in, what alignment are they, what's going to come next. I think Brown's one. I'm with you on the O-line, which we'll get to in a second just because of the depth and what they've shown previously. Uh, if you had to lose one guy for 10 games or a year, Jalen Hurts or Dallas Goddard. So you're either going Minshew with Goddard or Hurts with Jack nah, Stoll. Probably still going Hurts just because Minshew looks look real rough. But uh, the, I Jets, so. the Jets okay. game, the Jets game was good. You had to think about it for a second, though, yeah. at least. It's just like quarterback yeah. is just on such a different like sphere of of, of talking yeah. about of conversation, everything like that. The the yeah. the main thing is like rankings aside, there are a few teams left that have a true why, a true inline why. That's what the position is on the playbook. The Eagles have one of them in Dallas Goddard, and I'm telling you, if they lost Hurts, the running game would suffer. If they lost Kelsey, the running game would suffer. But if they lost Goddard, this running game will suffer the passing game will get hurt too tight ends very very important yeah he's definitely i think hurts i think brown hurts and then you're probably talking about Devonte or goddard in terms of the most uh so yeah if goddard goes down with an injury it, it is going to be a big deal this year when you look at the depth there so i had tight end at three i feel good at the, uh, really good about that group as long as goddard is yeah, healthy three for there. me All as right. well three for you as well all right i keep forgetting Offensive to say the number lot. i'm just so excited to get to my that's notes. okay my job probably is to remind you, but you know what? We're this is our second episode, so I'm gonna screw stuff up. So it's okay. Offensive line, what do you got? A one. Oh man, it me feels, too. Yeah. So we <laughs> talked uh, positional spending, 26, 24. The Eagles are first in positional spending on the offensive line. You said earlier, like the Eagles were early on the passing game is what matters here, and the Eagles were like early on quarterback value. This is why they have this rookie contract, second round pick, Jalen Hurts, ready to wait in the wings for the Carson Wentz issues. Like they were early on a lot of stuff. Perhaps nothing more clearly than, okay, let's just, we just got every offensive line position all of the time. We're just never going to stop drafting them. We're just going <laughs> to get Brandon Brooks in the building, and then we're going to draft Isaac Samalo, and then we're going to draft Andre Dillard, and we're going to sign Jason Peters, and we're just going to hammer, 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 hammer the position. We're going to cross train everybody. We got Jack Driscoll in the building. Which, uh, we're going to get Cam Jurgens. We're going to have Jason Kelsey watching centers in the offseason to kind of see like who does he like. like. We're just going to care so much. And then Jeff Stoutland as well. Like Stoutland was brought in by Chip and 
has just very quietly survived the chip firing, survived the Doug Peterson firing, and he's here with Nick Sirianni. He never had an NFL coaching job before this. He was exclusively a developer. He was a college coach. He taught kids how to play the position. And the Eagles' offensive line right now with Jordan Mailata is such a testament to his ability to bring guys along. And 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 what a huge win. I think Stalin's the best offensive line coach in the league. I think he's one of the best positional coaches in the league. So now you have your line five across. Landon Dickerson. I knew I was forgetting somebody. You have Mailata, Landon Dickerson, Jason Kelsey, Isaac Samalo, and Lane Johnson. It's the best line in the league. Isaac Sayamalo being the worst player on a line. Like Eagles fans, when they complain about Sayamalo, do not understand. It's such first world problems. Sayamalo yes. yeah. would go to any other line in the league and be perfectly fine, adequate starter that they yeah. would never think about. And 100%. then, right. And then behind, you have Jack Driscoll, who has playing experience at guard and tackle. You have Cam Jurgen, second round pick, who looks like he's going to be the real deal at center. You have such comfort in terms of, uh, of, of your talent. In terms of your running game coordinator, offensive line coach's ability to adjust relative to the talent, you have such comfort in your depth. At so many teams, when you go through the league and try to predict winners, uh, playoff caliber teams, you go, you look at the Chargers and you look like right tackle for the Chargers, right tackle for the Chiefs, left tackle for the Cowboys, Packers, left tackle. You every every contender, Bucks interior offensive line, every contender is an offensive line problem. And the Eagles just simply have the best line in the league. And it just is, is lights out, doesn't matter. I could not, I, I'm, I'm sleeping easy. What a relief. I mean, to have seven or eight guys who can be competent starters at offense, you're right. It's unheard of when you go through the other rosters in the NFL and to have a coach in Jeff Stoutland who has shown the ability to do more with less, to develop these guys. When these guys, last year, this this is would be shocking to some people. If you go by Football Outsiders has this adjusted games loss metric yeah, where it just measures metric. how injured were you. They had the most injured offensive line in the NFL last year. You never And they had it. one of the best offensive lines. They they didn't have either of their starting guards all season. Yeah. And that never came up the entire year. They had an amazing run game. They switched what they did. So yes, you put your faith in the coaching and also the talent, the investment there. Cam Jurgens looked good. Uh, certainly in the preseason, Kelsey and Lane Johnson. I had both guys as all pros last year. Mylotta, certainly he could be an all pro this year. That would not shock me if he took that kind of leap. Now, the one question is if Mylotta goes down in like the first, whatever, however many games of the season and, and Dillard has this injury where he's not healthy, then and that's where it could flip a little bit. But other than that, I think you're in really good shape where you can withstand some of the injuries you might have on the offensive line. So yeah, I've got that as a one as well. Strongest unit on the team, strongest unit probably in the NFL, and a big reason why they're getting a lot of this yeah. preseason hype up. All right, let's get to the coaching. Mm -hmm. Nick Sirianni, and I guess we throw Shane Steichen in there since he took over the play calling duties and is the OC. This is kind of an under, you know, I feel like for an Eagles head coach, Nick Sirianni probably gets like discussed his strengths and weaknesses uh, less often than, you know, any other Eagles head coach I can really remember in my lifetime. Like there's not a lot right. of talk about, is this guy a good coach or not? How are you feeling about, uh, about Nikki and uh, Shane Steichen going into this season? How many, what percentage of Eagles fans do you think could pull Shane Steichen out of a lineup? I put I put five mid forties white dudes on a on a, in a room. How <laughs> well many hair. how many yeah. Philly natives are correctly <laughs> identifying Shane Steichen? And they're and and they it's a crazy group where they could probably identify like Suo Peta, but man, right. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. It's like under, it, under, I think it's like twenty like percent. Yeah, I was thinking like 10, 10%, 15%. Yeah. I don't think anybody could. I, I I will say as a man who's like looked at Shane Steichen multiple times, I have trouble recalling. <laughs> Shane Steichen, which is not Shane's average looking white dude. 
Uh, I'm at like a four with them. I don't think... I think we have proof of concept as to how it's supposed to work. I think that, like I talked about, I think it is a a flexible and humble coach staff. And to me, that's awesome. Would I prefer Andy Reid? Yes. Like, you have a guy who's just like always had good offenses forever. Sure. There's a chance that Sirianni ends up one of those guys where he's just comfortable getting a good offense on the field every single year. If he ends up Frank Reich, who just like regularly has like a top 12 offense by DVOA and is cycling through quarterbacks and changing stuff as he has different players, like that's incredible. And you go and you look at what the Colts have had in terms of weapons, right? Like they weren't spending like crazy. Like obviously like Jonathan Taylor is huge for them, but Taylor really only burst out once Sirianni was already in Philadelphia. Previously, it was like, we're going to get Michael Pittman, T.Y. Hilton, and Naeem Hines, and we're going to scrape yeah. this thing together so Figure i think that out. yeah i think that you've you've started to get proof of concept this is how it's going to work they're always going to be able to get their guys in a spot that maximize them they're going to be able to win in the margins they don't need to have the highest paid receivers and the highest paid this they're going to get it done will we ever see sirianni coordinate an elite offense does it seem like he has just like the cold-blooded killer whatever i haven't seen that and the fact that play calling has changed is really interesting we Talk about play calling oftentimes in very um, like uh, insulated ideas, like in one-offs, right? Like the play calling was bad because on third and four, they called a draw and it was stopped. And if they had called a pass, it would have been better. In reality, play calling is like a, a, a highly connective thing. It's about trends and it's about feints and counterfeints. It's about setting up this and knowing how to disguise that, right? Like the best play calling stories are the you know, Sean McVay, I called this nine times because I knew in the third quarter I could get them to do that, to respond to it so I could get this one play, right? You think about the missed Brandon Cooks touchdown in the Super Bowl. It was all for that touchdown. It was all for that play. Like the ability to kind of set up the dominoes multiple quarters in advance. You think about the Bill Belichick play calling stories where Belichick will have a certain tendency like, oh, and we have this guy in the line of scrimmage we blitz 40% of the time. So in a game against the Jets that he's going to win, he just stops doing that. He just puts the guy in the line of scrimmage yes. and never blitzes just to like hide the percentages. It's understanding the the season long arc and for Sirianni to kind of like be calling plays last year and then for Steichen to start calling plays this year is to me odd I want a play caller who's got a thumb on that pulse who has the ability to string those things together and even if he calls a third and four draw and it doesn't work and it's the reason they lost the game quote unquote has the ability over games over weeks over months over similar opponents in the division to set up dominoes and then knock them down I, you know, Sirianni didn't show me anything in that regard last year, and now play calling is switched. So I wonder if the Eagles will have a coach there between Sirianni and Steichen who has that intuition. I have no reason to believe they do. And I think that can be a limiting factor for this offense. But altogether, there's not much to be overly concerned about. I think I'm on the same page. Yeah, I had him as a five, and the most, uh, you know, the, the most, the best thing you could say about last year is that they changed their offense in the middle of the season. That shows that you're not overly stubborn and they did it and had success with it. And so that shows that you have some good teachers on staff and you're able to figure it out. I do have the same question with you about the ceiling. You know, we see NFL coaches in year one sort of become darlings. And I don't know that Sirianni rose to that level, but you feel good about them. And then all of a sudden, you know, things go downhill. Like, like, a Matt Nagy type, uh, you know, coaching arc. I mean, that happens where all of a sudden you feel like you found a guy and next year you feel real differently about it. And I'm also curious about what is like their 
plan C, I guess it would be, you know, like their plan A was to do what they did in the first seven weeks. Their plan B was to just run the ball like a crazy amount of time and that worked. Well, now what is plan C? Because Shane Steichen, when he was with the Chargers, I mean, I did not like watching that. I I felt like they were limiting Justin Herbert to a crazy degree when he was calling plays there. But Anthony Lynn was the head coach. So you're getting a directive of here's how we want you to play. And so I need to see there's going to be some ups and downs. How are they going to adjust? How do they want to play? I mean, really, it comes down to what's this passing offense going to look like? Is it going to take a step forward? And so I'm kind of uh, in the middle there. Are you tweeting while we're potting here? I mean, yes. this is unbelievable. You, uh, what do we even? Are you a millennial? What do I even call you? Gen, Gen Z, Z, baby, I mean, 1997. Gen Z. What's up? I mean, t- tweeting live during a podcast the disrespect unbelievable are you checking your twitter notifications live during a podcast no my phone is here listen when you have kids you gotta have the phone out just in case there's an emergency i hope you don't text and drive or tweet and drive right because then i'm gonna really get on your case i mean very uh unsafe and you gen zers it's like you can't oh my gosh you're giving me a we're gonna work on that 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 we cannot have happening while i have you uh as a partner well now that there's a new philly uh (laughs) podcast listen to in the ringer i'll do that when i drive instead Oh my gosh. All right. There you go. Good, good plug. Yeah, that was pretty good. You're Thank very you. uh, proud of yourself there. All right. So we're on the same page with Sirianni. We're going to talk more about the big picture stuff with Sirianni tomorrow. Let's finish it up here with some questions. If it, what will it look like if it goes right with this offense this year? It'll be a run heavy offense. It'll be a, a shotgun heavy offense. At, as run heavy as like the second half of last no, year? No, but certainly okay. I would say like top eight in terms of, of run rate. I think that you're going to get okay. like the Ravens and you're going to get the Titans and like, they're going to be up there, but most teams are not building around the run. And the Eagles are, they unquestionably are building around the offensive line and the running ability of the quarterback. They've added AJ Brown to try to solve the passing game problems, but that's what the identity of the team is. It's the running game is powered by the line and by Jalen hurts. They're going to be a run heavy team. They're going to be a shotgun heavy teams. They won't be super play actiony, um, but they'll, 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 get to their spots in the passing game. They're still going to remain outside heavy. They're going to take the isolations one-on-one on the outside. Hurts throws good outbreakers. They're going to be there, but they're going to be able to hit the middle of the field when they need to, when it's given to them, when that challenge is presented. You're going to see a 17-game, 125-target performance from A.J. Brown. If this goes right, this is a 1,200, 1,300-yard receiver, and you're going to see... uh High touchdown output as well. It's going to be a really, really good red zone team. They're going to be able to go for it on fourth down. They're going to be able to win in short yardage situations. And they're going to be one of the best offenses in the league. If this works, like if the defense works, it's like a good defense. If the offense works, it's one of the five best offenses in the league. There's no reason for it not to because all that's left is the quarterback. And if the quarterback clicks, everything else should fall into place. Okay. I so I'm on a similar page. I don't know that I see the ceiling as that high. I mean, that would surprise me. I think I said top eight would really be a home run. There's just so many good offenses, like to get past the Herberts and the Mahomes and the Josh Allens and to be better than uh, some of those teams to get into the top five. That would surprise me. Not impossible. Offensive but, line, uh, yeah, baby. All about that line. That's true. Yeah. The, the run game cooks like it did last year. Hertz works the middle of the field more. A.J. Brown leads the NFL in yards after the catch, and they jump up to a top eight unit. That's what I had for if it goes right. All right, if it goes wrong, what does it look like? <laughs> it's a good offense. They can run the ball. They can uh, uh, win their isolations. Right? They're still going to win their one-on-ones. A.J. Brown against a corner on the outside. Devontae Smith against a corner on the outside. They're going to be successful. I think if this offense is, is below... 16th that they're below average in DVOA I will be very 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 surprised it'd be an incredibly injury heavy year or some other like you know massive astronomical event so it's still good 
but everybody knows what it feels like. We all see what it looks like and we know what it feels like coming into January and then they get waxed again in the playoffs. And if there is something that forces the Eagles to make a move at quarterback in the upcoming offseason, it will be showing up to the playoffs twice and getting their clock clean twice. That happening in successive years is the sort of thing that sits on an owner's mind, right? It's the sort of thing that you feel embarrassed. You 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 get the sense that the league knows who you are and they're not afraid of you and, and they're not taking you seriously. Like that, like owners are very, how am I being perceived people? And I think that they won't, I think the Lord will say, we can't trot Hurts out for another year if this is what it's going to be like when we're in the playoffs. So if it's bad, you're missing the middle of the field. You still have accuracy issues, processing issues. You're late, you know, like we talked about with the quarterback. Hurts is incomplete as a passer, and the offense is good enough to get to the playoffs, but it's bad enough to be embarrassed in the playoffs, and that will force a change next offseason. I think I got a little bit darker than you uh, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> with this one. Uh, team load up to stop stop the run. Hurts doesn't make a leap as a passer. Sirianni takes back play calling duties in week seven. Ooh, AJ, a, AJ Brown and Devontae. AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, one of them's throwing the tablet on the sideline or we're, we're showing a film clip where their hands are in the air going, what are you doing? And they're all kinds of frustrated uh, WIP callers are calling for Gardner Minshew to take over for Jalen Hurts. And they finish. I mean, I would not be. I agree with you that this, the floor is relatively high. I went more like 20th. You know, if they're, if they're finishing 20th uh, in DVOA. That would qualify as uh you know, kind of a disaster <laughs> given the setup yes. of this offense. So that's what I, I had as kind of the worst case scenario. Is is WIP callers asking for Gardner Minshew worst case scenario or inevitable case scenario? Yeah, entertaining for yeah. us at least. Eagles are 10-0 okay. and 0 and lose like a 35-38 <laughs> game to the Packers in week 12. You get a WIP call back. Like, this is why we need Minshew in there, baby. All right. He yeah. would not have done X at Y. <laughs> You might be right. All right, so where do you, uh, what's your take? Where are you planning your flag? Where does this offense finish? Yeah, by DVOA, like ninth. I think that, I think that there's, okay. it's, I think it's going to be tough for them to get like 18 games of the Jalen Hurts that we've been talking about. The guy who can be enough as a passer to keep defenses honest. I think you'll get an, some of those games enough that you'll be tempted to believing in it. There'll be a stretch where you're like, yeah, this is it. This is how it's supposed yeah. to look. I'm not sure we get enough of that over time. And again, like the upcoming episode is kind of more about, all right, 2022 season, here's our projections and kind of like, what does this mean? One year, three year, five year horizons. We'll talk about that then. But the riddle for the Eagles last last season, 2021, was figuring out if Jalen Hurts can be the guy. 2022, they're still faced with the same riddle. You did not get a clear no. You did not get a clear yes. And I think you're going to get the sort of season out of the offense that still leaves you without a clear no and without a clear yes. I think it's going to be better, but not amazing. I think it's going to get to the playoffs, but not excel there. And I think that's going to be really, really tough to deal with from a long-term perspective because that's great while it's cheap and it ain't going to be cheap soon. And that's, that's when it comes time yeah. to pay the piper. That's where you have to realize, do I want to commit myself to this future or not? I've got them 10th. So we both have them as top 10, uh, top 10 offense this Exciting. year. All right. We close out, you know, again, we got to, we got to continue to get to know each other here. See, today I found out you are a Harry Potter fan. I did not uh, know that. So here's my question. If we're, if the ringer calls you up and says, Hey Ben, you're, you know, you're doing great on the ringer NFL show. The Philly show is great, but we feel like there's more for you. We want to give you a podcast, any TV show right now. It's just you cook to guess whoever you want. Uh, what show, what show are you picking? Oh, Do you have, I, 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 I just, 
yeah, I, I didn't make, I didn't give this one to you ahead of time. So yeah, I don't know if you have so an answer if you want me to not, go. No, 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 I got you. It's not like one okay. of the Thrones ones because there's just way too much lore there. Like I've been watching. Thrones. They're too good. Yeah. I've been watching Rings of Power, but like if I were to do a show about that, I have to like go read the whole Silmarillion. I ain't got time for that right now. So I can't do one of those shows, even though I love them and I'm excited about them. Okay. Have you seen Avatar: The Last Airbender? No, that okay. sounds like it would not be in my wheelhouse. It would be in your wheelhouse. The greatest show ever made. Avatar: <laughs> The Last Airbender was a Nickelodeon anime in the late 2000s. And oh my, couldn't be any more out of my wheelhouse. It is the story of Aang, the Avatar, master of all four elements. When the world needed him most, he vanished. And then the Fire oh Nation attacked. It's a pretty big deal. Me and Jomi, who's uh, Jomi's one of the social guys of the Ringer. Go follow Jomi on Twitter. He's one of the Midnight Boys. He's on the, uh, some of the Ringerverse podcasts. Huge Avatar fans. They did an Avatar episode uh, of the show, and it was great. But Avatar deserves it itself a whole rewatch and a whole show. It's so, so good. Your, your daughters would love it. It's one of the best, most wholesome young shows ever. I like, okay. will always remember watching that show on a portable DVD player in Canada <laughs> with my cousins on a rainy day when we were all up on vacation together. We just watched like a whole season, a whole book in one day. It was like one of the best memories ever. Such a good show. Avatar Last Airbender. I don't answer. know that my answer could be any more different. Uh, I'm going with Indian matchmaking on uh, Netflix. I mean, for you old heads out there who watched Blind Date with Roger Lodge back in the day, Indian it's sort of a similar vibe, except they're all Indian. We got Seema from Mumbai as the star matchmaker of the show. You know, I've said this before. When you have like kids and you do like a bedtime and it's like nine o'clock and you come down, sometimes you don't want to get into something that's really uh, intense and you just want to sit there and have something that you turn your brain off and you enjoy. And so listen, if the uh, ringer higher ups are listening and we're trying to reel in, um, I don't even know what the audience would be for Indian matchmaking, but whatever that demographic okay. is, if we're trying to reel that in, uh, I'm your guy. And I do have time for that. Okay. Indian matchmaking on Netflix. Yeah. IMDb yeah. score 6.2 out of 10. Rotten is that good or not? I, I I'm not a sheep. I don't follow. You know. What oh my goodness! Uh, I'm are. not yeah. a sheep. I have my it's, own. I have my own opinions. It's average-ish. Forty-one percent okay. on Rotten Tomatoes, which is bad. Avatar: yeah. Last Airbender, nine point three out of ten on IMDb. A hundred percent. A hundred percent shield on Rotten Tomatoes. Listen, there's probably already a podcast about that. See, I'm getting this niche audience, and I think that's what we need to explore as a company. All right. Good. Got, got to learn something about you. Thank you to Ben. Thank you to Cliff Augustine for producing once again. Thanks to everyone for listening. Follow, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to tackle some big picture questions. We touched on some of them, but we didn't get on get to Howie. We didn't get to the Sirianni big picture. We didn't get to some of those other scenarios with Hertz based on how he performs this season and maybe some Jeffrey Lurie talk as well. So we're going to get to all those tomorrow. And then Friday, of course, predictions, Lions preview. Appreciate everybody listening. We will talk to you tomorrow.